Martin Luther in the Reformation said, Jesus is the center and the circumference of the Bible. He is the main character and the main point of the whole of Scripture. He's the fulfillment of every covenant. He's the fulfillment of every prophecy. The one we read from Isaiah. The one we read from the Psalm. He's the fulfillment of everything. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 says, In fact, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. So we've been looking over the last few weeks at the solas of the Reformation. These doctrines that we got out of the Reformation for the church to hold on to that simply come from the Bible. They didn't come from the Reformation. They come from the Bible, but they were highlighted for us there in the Reformation. And we've looked at this because this is spelling out for us how salvation happens, how God saves his people. And we talked about the fact that it is by grace alone. And that's what this word sola means is alone. So these men of God um, taught the scriptures in such a way as to show the people that God's salvation comes to us in this way, by grace alone. No, no grace plus merits, no grace plus penance. You can't buy your way. It's not grace gate given by God to man, and then now man takes the grace and by his own abilities uses that grace to somehow get to God. No, it's grace alone. God's gracious Free will and favor shed upon men and women brings them to himself. And he does that through faith alone. So it's not, again, it's not faith plus your works. It's not faith plus anything. It's by grace alone, through faith alone. And today we're talking about all of that is in Christ alone. Because the whole scripture is about Christ. Everything is about him from beginning to end. Men, women, and boys and girls can only be saved because of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's none of our works mixed in, no goodness on our part. God doesn't look down through the corridors of time and see who will make good decisions and who won't. And God's certainly not up in heaven wondering who's going to make some good choices for me. No, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ. And the grace and the faith are gifts from God that he gives to his people so that we can believe. Again, by God's own free grace and loving kindness and mercy that he decided on in eternity past comes to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus became flesh. He became a man to live in obedience, perfect obedience to the law of God because we cannot obey the law of God. The law demands perfect obedience and perfect righteousness and all of us have failed it. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We have failed the law. We have disobeyed God. And so we needed somebody to take our place. We needed a perfect sacrifice. And so God in the flesh in Jesus Christ came and lived in perfect obedience yet went to the cross to be crucified as a sinner, to become sin for us, 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God poured all of his wrath out on Jesus so that he could shed his grace and mercy toward us. That's what the scriptures teach us. We don't need to go anywhere else to learn about this. In fact, the very first sola that we learned about was sola scriptura, which is the scriptures alone. All this comes to us from the Bible alone. And you have to believe that the word of God, the Bible is the word of God, and it is sufficient for everything that we need, especially for salvation. And all that is necessary for you to be saved and to understand what God has done to save you is to be found in the Bible alone, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So these alone statements are very key to understanding not only the Reformation, but understanding, more importantly, what God has done for us and how men and women and boys and girls are saved, are brought to salvation, how your sins are forgiven, right? That's what we need to know. That's the most important question for any human to ever have to answer is how can my sin be forgiven? Because if you ever recognize that God is real and God is God and therefore he is holy and perfect, then you recognize that you are not. And so there's a great gulf or gap between you and God and there's no way to get to him unless something divine and miraculous takes place and that's exactly what has happened in that God became flesh and that Jesus lived the perfect sinless life according to the law but went to the cross and died in your place so that you can be saved. That's a miracle of God. There's no other way we were get to him. No other way that we could get to him. So basically, this idea of Christ alone answers the question, is Christ enough? Is, did God do enough in Jesus, or is there something else that needs to be done? We really struggle with the idea of sufficiency in Christendom anymore, don't we? Whether it's the Bible, or whether it's Jesus, we struggle with, is that really enough? Did God do enough to save his people? And also we struggle with this idea of exclusivity. That's a big word that means simply Christ alone is enough to save. So there are all kinds of doctrines and teachings and churches and philosophies out there that teach, for example, well, Jesus is fine. That's one good way to get to God. But there's plenty of other ways. And we're all going in that direction. As long as you believe something and believe in somebody bigger than yourself, you'll be fine. But the early church, and then thankfully later those coming out of the Reformation, and I hope you today will certainly believe that that is not true, that there is no way to God except through Christ. And every other way is a false way, and every other way will lead you straight to hell. That Christ is the only way to God. Sola Christus, no other way. There are no other messiahs coming. There are no other prophecies that need to be fulfilled, that weren't fulfilled in Christ. There's no Old Testament shadow that didn't become a reality in Jesus. No covenant that God didn't keep in Christ. There is no mediator but Jesus himself. The Pope is not a vicar or a go-between. Nobody is a go-between between you and God but Jesus himself. Nobody has any authority to forgive sins or to issue forgiveness or pardon but Christ himself. I hope you heard that um, 
from our text this morning. This is the teaching of the New Testament. Clearly, there is no name given among men whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. If you're looking to something else or waiting on something else, there's nothing else coming. All that you need has already happened, been here, and it is sufficient. Jesus said in Luke 24 and 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, or we're told about Christ, beginning with the Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to the people listening all the scriptures and all the scriptures, the things that concern himself. He said also in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and they are the ones that bear witness about me. In the scriptures, you do have eternal life as long as you see from the scriptures that they testify of Jesus. We don't worship the Bible. The Bible teaches us who to worship. So don't ever get confused about that. We make a lot of emphasis on the Bible because scripture alone is sufficient to give us the revelation. It is the revelation of God. But we don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. We worship Jesus who we are taught about in the scriptures. The crux of this passage we just read shows us, again, this truth so beautifully. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you builders, but now he's the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else, and there is salvation in nothing else. You'll never do enough good things to correct the bad. You'll never do enough things to cause God to wake up and say, wow, now that's a good person right there. I should save that person. No, that's never going to happen. <laughs> if you're waiting on that, stop. That's what surrender is about. You get to a place where you recognize there's nothing I can do. If I am to be saved, it'll have to be by God, by grace, through faith alone, and somebody else besides my own merit. I'm going to trust in the merit of the one the Bible calls Jesus because his merits are considered worthy. And God himself, the Father, said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus has done what it takes. We tend to think this is a no-brainer, those of us who've grown up in church, and we hear this preached all the time. But the truth is, we're almost right back into a place that the Reformers found themselves. They were fresh out of the Enlightenment period, the Age of Reason, the glorification of humanity. And so during the Reformation, there was an assault on faith. So they had to deal with it. And we're kind of back there. This is an old study now, and it's probably even the percentages would be higher. But listen, 35% of seminarians, that's usually preachers or pastors who go to school to learn how to teach more, uh, how to teach well and how to study the scriptures and how to prepare themselves to be the men that God has called them. 35% of seminarians deny that faith in Christ is absolutely necessary. That's a frightening thought. And again, this this study is old. It's, it's possibly 10 years old. I'm, I'm sure that number didn't go down. Just open social media and read what some people are saying about Christ and you'll see this is where we are. 
And according to Barna, that is the same figure for conservative evangelical Protestants in America. This thought that God will save all good people when they die, regardless of whether they trust in Christ or not. And you'd be amazed if you started reading at some people that you probably know, some names you know in evangelicalism, some preachers that you listen to on the TV or radio, and if they are pressed on this question, some big names, including even names like Billy Graham, who were pressed on this question and would admit, I'm just not so sure if I can really say that God's going to condemn somebody just because they didn't trust in Christ. Over one-fourth of the born-again evangelicals surveyed agreed with this statement. If a person is good or does good things for others during life, they will earn a place in heaven. That's kind of a scary thought. Because first we'd have to identify good and um, have a definition of what good is. And that's kind of frightening to think that God's just going to pick and choose according to what good things we do. Because I may do good today and then tomorrow go back and do not so good. I can do good. I can do bad in the middle of doing good. Anybody else like that? I can be doing something that people would consider good and in my mind I'm doing bad things. So I realize that if God's going to save me for goodness and good things, I'm in trouble. So often I find myself coming back to this place of surrender. God, I have to trust that if you're going to save me, it's not because of anything in me. It's because of you and your grace and your mercy. And especially it's because Jesus. And if I'm going to be saved, it'll be, I'll be saved because of Christ and his merits and his goodness and his righteousness and nothing else. When asked whether they agreed with the following statement, Christians, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, and all others all pray to the same God, even though they use different names, Two-thirds of evangelicals didn't find that objectionable. Two-thirds is a lot. You know, that's that's bigger than 35%. That's a lot. And then Barna again observed how little difference there is between the responses of those who regularly attend church and those who are unchurched. So, you know, a lot of times we, we tend to pick on people who claim to be Christians but don't go to church, but then often our views about truth are not a whole lot different. That's a frightening thought. So I say again, we have swallowed 20th century liberalism and repackaged it, but it's really no different than what the reformers were facing. And they only really were dealing with the Pope and this idea that there was all kinds of uh, ways to get to God as long as you went through the Pope and through the church, as long as you paid up, well, we swallowed all kinds of things. Now, we're willing to believe that there's all kinds of ways to get to God. One very famous so-called Christian apologist stated this, the Bible does not teach that one must confess the name of Christ to be saved. The issue God cares about is the direction of the heart and not the content of the theology. It's just a backwards idea to me. I don't understand how could this man is very intelligent, say the Bible does not teach one must confess the name of Jesus to be saved. When we just read a passage, this is only one passage. There's no other name under heaven given whereby we must be saved except Jesus. So whether these polls are accurate or not, 
it's difficult to deny that we are in a very relativistic, ecumenical, pluralistic, pluralistic culture within evangelicalism. In other words, these are just big words that suggest there's many ways to God. There may be more gods than one, but there's only one really big God. Or there's just this idea that, you know what, if it feels good, do it. And if it's right to you, it's right. Remember, we went through this big time back before uh, 9-11. Well, if it's right to you, then you ought to be able to do it. And then all of a sudden, people were left spinning on their heads. Well, you know, those guys that flew planes into the towers, that was right to them. They thought they were doing what God wanted them to do. So suddenly relativism came back, at least to some in the church, to, to the forefront and for them to start questioning, well, you know, maybe we ought to get back to objectionable truth, an objective truth, not a subjective one, but one standard that's solid that we all go back to, and we find that in the Bible. This idea is everywhere. And I think we would all be frightened if we really got to have these conversations with most people we knew to press them and press them and press them. Do you really think that people will be in hell because they don't confess Christ? Or do you think God is somehow going to save them in another way? I think we'd be shocked at how many people would say, yeah, I just have a hard time believing that. It's that narrow. I have a hard time believing that it's that exclusive. But this is what came to us out. This was a recovery of the New Testament doctrine of the exclusivity of Christ. And that Christ alone is sufficient to save. In the, during the Reformation, and now again, we need to recover it and keep talking about it. Because there are a lot of people around us that talk about Christ, that sing about him, wear t-shirts about him and make signs about him. But when pushed to the limits, I wonder would they deny that he is really the way, the truth, and the life. That he's just a way, a truth, and a life. And if it works for you, then that's good, but it might not work for me. Well, I say with Paul in Romans 3 and 4, let God be true and every human a liar. Because it is Christ alone. I pray that no humanist or secularist or relativist or ecumenist or pluralist would ever hear sermons preached from our church and be able to say there's other ways to God. But I hope rather we continue to be those like Peter and John that we just read about who if you continue reading in the Acts you'll find them saying we cannot help but speak the things we have seen and heard. Because there really is salvation and no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. So if you're trusting in anything else, if you're looking to anything else, stop. And I'll even say this. If you're born again and you're looking to anything else or anybody else or any other way to live the life that God has called you to, stop. Because you'll find your power insufficient. But his sufficient. And man, we're all there at times. I, as much as anybody, have that mentality that I just got to pick myself up and buy my bootstraps and get on with it. Until there are days that I recognize I can pick myself up all I want to and all I'll do is keep falling. And I've got to learn to trust Christ more. And that's what the gospel does. 
That's what Christ is. That's what it means when we say Christ alone. There is no other way. There is no other name. There's none other who's ever coming to get you except him. If you miss him, you miss it all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, what a glorious, beautiful word it is. What a glorious and grand truth this is that Jesus is the only way. And I pray that in this very moment as we celebrate the supper together and we really stop and think about Jesus who was wounded and bruised for us, who was crucified for us, who bled for us. He satisfied all the Father's demands and all the righteousness of God and all the wrath and justice of God that we might receive mercy and grace. I pray that you would just open our eyes to that. And if there are any here who've not surrendered to that, I pray that you would just break them now with this gospel truth and that they would be surrendered to Christ and they too would confess him and trust and cling to him as their only hope that if they're going to be saved, if they're going to miss hell, it'll be because of Christ and nothing else. By grace through faith in him, I pray that you would remind all of us who are saved, who know that to be true, that we never get too far away from that truth, that we never start thinking that we're superior to others based on our decision-making or our church attendance, but we realize that the only thing that separates us from anybody is the grace of God in Christ. And the Christ in us. So God just continue to glorify yourself. Through this church and through your people. We pray all this in Jesus name. Amen.